Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. But in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to ask if we can get the house lights up because as we read the scripture, we want to be able to see that this morning. Um, as you're turning there this morning, I just want to check in and see, just by show of hands, how many of you had a good 4th of July? Had a good 4th of July. All right. Good, good, good. Um, I wanted to say I, I assume that everybody stayed safe um, and, and happy. There was no loss of limb or, or burns or anything like that because I didn't get any calls to have to go to the ER for visits or check on people or anything like that. So I thank you uh, for, being, for celebrating responsibly so that I can enjoy uh, the 4th with my family as well. Because as Ryan mentioned a couple of weeks ago in his message, he doesn't do hospital visits. He's not gifted for that. Um, no, it's not that he doesn't do them. It's that he really shouldn't uh, do the no, I'm just, I'm, I'm teasing with him there too. But, uh, but I'm glad you enjoyed the 4th, especially after last year, it kind of being a, a silent 4th of July. It was nice to kind of get back to a little bit of normal. We had a very restful 4th. We didn't really do a, a whole lot, but we actually uh, were, uh, we were surprised at how good of a fireworks show we got. Uh, Noel and I sat out on our back, out on our back deck and the people in the cul-de-sac like right behind us, which uh, the way our house is positioned, our deck kind of is positioned a little higher than the people in the cul-de-sac behind us, which is the way we like it. We like to look down on all the other folks, you know, you know, do something you peasants. Uh, but anyway, they're setting off those big stadium balls, you know, the ones that go up in the air and they, they blow up and everything. So as they're setting them off, we're sitting on our deck and we look and it's like it's literally just right there in our face. I mean, it was so, it was so awesome. It was right there. You could feel the boom in your chest, you know, and then the other part of it was we were so close that we could feel the debris falling down all around us. So then we had to back in the house and just watch it from the window. But, uh, but anyway, we had, a, we had a great time. Again, why do we do stuff like that? Because freedom, baby. That's why we do stuff like that, right? Um, last Sunday, we looked at the words of Jesus from John chapter 8 when he explained where true freedom, real freedom, not political freedom, not governmental freedom, not those freedoms that we celebrated this past weekend, but where spiritual freedom is found and freedom is found and only properly understood in the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm grateful, hopefully like you are, to live in a free nation, but I'm more grateful that I have a freedom in Christ that can never be taken away from me, no matter where I may be on this planet, no matter what may happen around me, I have a freedom in Jesus Christ because the truest freedom is not found within the borders of a nation or its declarations or its laws or its constitutions. True freedom is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. So today I want to kind of continue that, that theme of freedom a little bit as the Bible explains it because knowing where freedom is found like we talked about last Sunday is one part of the picture, but you don't have a complete part of the picture until you also know what freedom looks like. So I have freedom in Christ, but what am I supposed to do with that freedom? Because we can abuse our freedoms, can't we? We see evidence of that all the time. We can abuse the freedoms and the privileges and the things that we have sometimes when we only look out for ourselves and don't consider our brothers or our sisters or our fellow man. It's the same concept within biblical liberty and biblical freedom too. So knowing how freedom works and knowing the expectation that lays upon the free is also part of completing the picture. 
We've seen the evidence of having to learn how to be free within the history of our nation as well. Like I mentioned last Sunday, ever since we declared ourselves to be free over 245 years ago, we've been wrestling as a people with what freedom should really look like and who should really have freedom and how much freedom we should have and how freedom is best enjoyed. See, because freedom is a gift that many in our world don't possess and it must be stewarded properly by all or it will cease to be freedom at all. Freedom is not only a gift, but it is a responsibility and it is an act of stewardship as well. And I believe that statement is even more true when it comes to freedom as we see it defined in Scripture. See, if you have a a Christian standard Bible like I do, you'll see the heading at the beginning of chapter 5 of Galatians says, The Freedom of the Christian. And we're going to look at the entire chapter today in context because I want to preach in an expository way where where we let the Word be the Word and let the Word say what it needs to say, but I want to kind of use the middle of this chapter, verses 13 through 15, as our key text this morning. So if you would look with me at verse number 13, it says this, and Paul is the writer, and he's talking to the Galatian believers. He says, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity or as an occasion to the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the law hangs on two two things, love God and love other people. And Paul is saying you'll fulfill the law if you will love others like you love yourself. But if you bite and you devour one another, or if you have strife with one another, watch out or beware, or you will be consumed by one another. I want to ask you this morning, church, When we think about the world that we live in, the world at large, even let's just take the church in the world at large today. Do we see a verse 14 situation or do we more see a verse 15 situation? See, verse 14 is the law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Or are we seeing a 15 situation where we're biting and devouring one another and eventually we'll be consumed by one another? See, there's a lot of things that are going on today and a lot of speculation going on today as to why the church and at large is losing people left and right. And I don't think it's because the church has forgotten its message. I don't think it's because the church has turned its back on Jesus. I think we've just said Jesus is only a piece of what we care about. He's not everything. And it's because we've become... We've become where we're consuming one another. For a long time, we used to think that religious freedom and religious liberty in the church would be attacked from the outside, but we're living in a generation today where the greatest attack of the church, I believe, is taking place inside because we're so consumed with other things. You see, Jesus told Peter to step out on the water and keep his eyes on Christ, but what happened to Peter when he stepped out and took his eyes off of Christ? He fell through the water. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, all of these things begin to happen. We cease to love like Christ. We cease to love one another like Christ. And then we begin to eat each other alive. And then there's only one, of them, one person left around wiping their, wiping their mouth saying, where'd everybody go? As a church, we need to understand. And as the church of Christ and as believers today, we need to understand where freedom really lies and what freedom really looks like. We've been called to freedom, church. But that means we've been called to a responsibility as well. See, in the letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul addresses the rise of false doctrine in the churches in that region. See, false doctrine takes a whole lot of different forms. 
False doctrine takes, just, uh, takes the form of outright just preaching a gospel that is not true, but it also takes the form of preaching a gospel that really negates the role of Jesus Christ and elevates other things to the same role of Christ. But you see, there was a group back then known as the Judaizers that were kind of coming through the regions there in Asia Minor. Paul had gone in to do a great missionary work of helping to set up churches and helping to train up leaders and helping to preach the doctrine of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only, salvation in Christ, through Christ and by Christ and nothing else. And then comes this group known as the Judaizers who basically got their name from saying that if you want to follow Christ, you need to make sure that you, you trench yourself into Jewish way and practice even though you're a Gentile. And so what they did was they came in and they preached the gospel. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to save you. But if you really want to be saved and you want to prove that you're saved and you want to stay saved. See, that's dangerous, isn't it? If you want to stay saved, you need to start practicing all of the Jewish laws and customs. Namely, and I don't understand why, but namely the custom of circumcision. The reason that the Judaizers wanted, wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised was because it was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant that God had made with Abraham back in the day, that God would make a great nation out of Abraham. But the Gentiles were not part of that. They're part of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is basically saying, you don't need that. You don't need to put yourself under all of these old laws that Jesus has already completed and fulfilled. You need to place yourself under the authority and under the supremacy of Jesus. But the Judaizers basically were saying, Jesus is enough to save you, but you need to keep you saved. And folks, anytime we insert ourselves into the salvation formula, we've delved off into false doctrine. So some, so to, so, so kind of like a theological fi, uh, prize fighter, Paul steps into the ring to knock some doctrinal sense back into everyone. And he starts by saying that the gospel is wrapped up in Jesus and he doesn't need anything added to him to secure our salvation. Meaning Jesus has got this. He don't need no help. And then he reiterates that salvation is by the grace of God, not by the works of man. No matter how good you may be at keeping the law, no matter how good of a law you may have, salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus alone. Then he says that those who are saved are the sons and the daughters of God, accepted by God and adopted by God, not slaves, no longer indentured servants trying to earn their freedom. And see, this is the beauty of God's grace and his mercy to us, is that when I can't earn my freedom, when there was not a lick of anything that I could do to earn my salvation, God granted it to me through the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness shed on me. When I was enslaved to sin, Jesus broke the shackles with his sinless perfection. One drop of blood busted the chains of sin and death and hell. And when I was buried deep in the pit of death and despair that I had dug myself in my sin, God sent Jesus to pull me out from that miry pit and set my feet upon a rock. But as we come to chapters 5 and 6, Paul deals with the true freedom that we have through the gospel of Christ. And he says that freedom, in, in chapter 5, freedom must not be lost through going back into legalism. And that freedom should not be abused through just living my life through liberal license, just saying, hey, since I'm saved and all my sins are covered, I might as well just enjoy everything to the hilt. Well, there's a responsibility with the freedom that I have. And then he says that freedom must be expressed through service. So I want to look at three things this morning of what freedom really looks like. Because if we are free, we are free indeed, as we saw through the book of John last week, that Jesus sets us free. 
The question is, what has he set me free to? What am I supposed to do with this freedom? We want to properly use it. We want to properly live under it because if we don't live under it, we won't enjoy how beautiful it really is. You see, the true gospel will lead to true freedom, but a false gospel will lead to the absolute loss of freedom. So let's look at what freedom really looks like. Number one, freedom is a calling. Our freedom is a calling. Look at what it says at Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13, which we started off reading this morning. He's talking to believers here in the Galatian. He says, for you were called to be free. If you mark in your Bible, if you take notes, underline or circle or highlight that word called and free. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. You see, there's something special about a calling on your life, isn't there? You ever sensed a calling on your life? Some people have a job that they also say is not just their occupation, but it's their calling in life. I'm lucky enough to have that. The job that I do each and every day is a calling from God that he's laid upon my life to preach the gospel. And I'm thankful enough that I'm in a position currently where I can make a living from doing that as well. It's not always that case because you don't always have to be paid for your calling. What we have to understand is whether your occupation or what you do to make a living is something you feel like you're necessarily called to do or it's just something you're going to do to survive in life. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a calling upon you and it is a calling that is holy and that is righteous. That word called right there in the original Greek is from the word kaleo, which it means and it addresses this idea of expressing the concept of being both named to something better and summoned to something better. It's the idea of when a person has been adopted into a new family, that I now take on the name of someone who loves me. I now take on the identity of someone who cares for me. I have a new identity. I have a new name. I've been made something new. And also that I've been summoned or I've been called out of somewhere dangerous, like somebody who's been lost in the woods and, you call, and someone calls out for you and you follow that voice to safety. This is what the Bible is saying here when it says we have as believers, we have been called. We have been called to a new identity in Christ. We've been called out of the dangers that were around us. I have a new identity and I have safety and I have a new position and a new purpose in my life. You see, my freedom in Christ is not just a gift. Although the Bible says that salvation is a gift freely given, it's not just a privilege, although there are a lot of privileges that come with being joint heirs with Jesus Christ and sons and daughters of the King of Kings, but it is not just a gift and it is not just a privilege, it is a calling. You see, gifts and privileges can get old, they can wear out, they can lose their luster, but a calling is something that continually drives me every day. I think one of the problems that we have within our specific culture today as believers in the modern day is all we do is look at salvation as a gift. The problem with gifts, especially in a culture, in a first world culture that we have today is gifts lose their value over time. But you see, a calling never loses its value, never loses its significance because it is something that is deep down inside of you. See, this calling to freedom is special because of who calls us to it and what it calls us out of and what it calls us to. See, we're called by Jesus Christ. He's the one who called us. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1. Look back up there. It says, for freedom, what's the next word? Christ. For freedom, Christ set us free. 
It is Christ who has set us free. Not us, not our grandma or our grandpa, not even the person who led you to Christ or told you or preached to you the gospel. It is Christ who sets us free. There are folks in your life who may have shown you where freedom exists in Jesus Christ, led you to Christ, but it is Christ who is the liberator. Christ is the one who breaks the bondage of sin and death. Never get over this fact that Jesus Christ, the Lord Almighty, pure and holy and complete righteousness, had every right, had every reason to turn his back on us in our sin and leave us condemned to die, but he didn't turn his back. Instead of turning his back on us in our sin, he stretched his arms out wide on a cross and he took the nails and he died a death that we deserved so that we could have eternal life only through him and by him and in him. He's the one who calls us because he's the one who's provided it. We spent quite a bit of time last Sunday, so I'm not going to belabor the point anymore. But freedom is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Back in the book of John chapter 15 and verse number 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should you remain. Now, let's stop there for a second because at first glance, it looks like Jesus is saying that I've only chosen certain people to be saved. What he is saying is, you could not choose me until I first chose you by dying on the cross. Then I have given you the ability to come to me. See, he had to open the gates of heaven for us to be able to come. And in verse number 19, it says, If you were of the world, the world could love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of it. The world hates you. What Jesus is saying is, the world will be completely and continually at odds with someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ because the world operates by a culture of death and sin. And we operate by a culture of life and liberty and salvation and grace in the kingdom of God. Two totally different value systems. Two totally different ways of viewing everything. You see, he chose us. Freedom comes from him. We don't choose him. He chooses us and he appoints us for a purpose. First and foremost, Jesus made the choice to make salvation available. Therefore, we now can come to him. And since the moment that Jesus made salvation available... God the Father has been calling us out through the gospel of his Son to anyone and everyone who would believe and receive the freedom in Christ. See, the freedom of salvation is not just a good, wise choice that I made one day. And God forbid we ever view our salvation as just that. I'm smarter than you because I trusted Jesus. Salvation is not just a good and wise choice. It is a holy calling that none of us are qualified for, none of us deserve, but God graciously calls us to him. You see, in verse number one, we look on, it says, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. That word yoke there, if you know anything about farming, it's something that you would put over cows and over, over oxen as they would begin to, you know, cut the ditches to plant uh, to plant things in the garden. As you can tell, I don't know much about agriculture because I probably just messed all that up. But note the almost overuse of the word freedom here in this passage. He says, for freedom Christ set us free. That word free comes from the word eulithera, 
which means unhindered and independent. It gives the idea of one who is free of any obligation, any restriction, or any slavery, or any indenturedness, any indebtedness at all. So what Paul is saying there is, is that when Jesus calls you to freedom, he calls you all the way. He doesn't just start the process of freedom. He finishes the process of freedom as well unhindered and unfettered by the sin and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that used to hold us down in death and defeat. Just like Jesus said in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, or you are free all the way. So here's the thing about earthly freedom. Here's the thing that we know about freedom as we know it within our nation, is freedom can be lost. It, freedom that can be won can also be lost. But freedom in Jesus Christ cannot be lost. Once I am saved, I am always saved. So Paul paints this picture to the Galatian believers that have become free in Christ but are now voluntarily placing them back, themselves back under the law that just continually condemns and leaves them in shame and guilt, never meeting up. And he says, why are you going back again to the yoke and the bondage of slavery? Paul used the word yoke, which reminds us of what Jesus said about yokes in Matthew chapter 11. Here's what Jesus said about yokes. He says there's two different kinds of yokes. There's the yoke of bondage, and then there's the yoke of freedom. My yoke is the yoke of freedom. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am the one who is meek and lowly, and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, the, the yoke of the law, the yoke of constantly performing and making sure I'm gaining God's attention will do nothing but wear us out and wear us down and leave us in this place of shame and guilt all the time. But the yoke of Jesus Christ calls me to a place where I am wanted, I am desired, I am respected from God. Do I have to live by kingdom standards? Yes, but he's going to equip me and empower me to do so. And as I do that, I don't wear out. I find rest. The yoke of the law brings relentless burden and soul-crushing weight, but the yoke of loving grace through Jesus Christ invites us to rest in him and learn of the freedom that we have in him. We have a very dark history within our nation of slavery back in the 16, 17, and 1800s. It's not something we like to think about. It's not something we like to talk about. And even in 2021, we're still wrestling with the effects of it. But I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine just for a moment that you are a person who's been enslaved or imprisoned your whole life. And every day of your life was a living hell. You've been mistreated, beaten, abused, taken advantage of, mocked and reviled by your master, separated from your family so you don't have any, any human connections with anyone. You're just viewed as a piece of property to be used up and thrown away when you're no longer valuable. Let that sink in for a second. Then one day someone comes along, shows up at the farm where you're enslaved, and buys you from your cruel master. He drives you miles away from where you were enslaved. He then gets you out and he pulls out a key and he removes those shackles and chains off of you and looks at you and then says, you will no longer be needing those. I have purchased you for the purpose of setting you free. From now on, you will be respected, you will be loved, you will be cared for, you will be known under my name. You are no longer a slave. You are my family. 
you will never have to wear those shackles again. And then he proceeds to pull out new clothes. Clothes that you've never seen before because you were never deemed worthy enough to wear clothes like that. What's your reaction to that? How do you respond to that? Now imagine that you look at that person who gave up so much to purchase you and has given you a completely new life for no reason at all other than you were loved. Now imagine you look at them and you look at those shackles and chains that are laying there on the ground and you grab those chains and those shackles and you turn and you run as fast as you can back to the slaveholder who abused you your whole life and you take those shackles and chains to him and say, please put these back on me. This is what I want. See, this is what so many of us do with the freedom that Christ has given us. We've been set free. We've been purchased. When all we've ever known was abuse and condemnation and guilt and shame and death being used up and spit out over and over and over again by sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt. When Jesus rose from the grave, he burst the chains and the shackles of sin that we would never have to wear again. But so many times we go running right back to it. Why? Because we forget who called us. Because freedom is a calling. And the calling is precious not because we earned it, not because of what it says. The calling is precious because of who called us. The calling is precious because of what it called us out of. It called us out of sin and weight and bondage. And it called us into loving grace as well. Look at verse number 6 of Galatians chapter 5. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What Paul is saying is to these, these Galatians who are being con convinced that it's all about just making sure you mind your P's and Q's and you do all of these things that you never were called to by Christ... He says it doesn't get you anywhere closer because what matters is faith working through love. See, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is not by works or we would just run around boasting about everything. See, if it was all about the law, if it was all about all the good things we'd be doing, we'd just be coming to church talking about how good we are, how much better we are than the people who aren't saved out there. And while we get mad at everything that they do, oh, wait a second, we do that, don't we? The only thing that truly sets a person free is not jumping through cultural hoops or legal hoops to earn your salvation. The only thing that sets us free is placing our faith in the loving grace of God. See, freedom is a calling of Jesus Christ, calling us out of slavery to the freedom of a loving Savior and a loving grace in Jesus Christ. The second thing this morning, and we'll probably just cover point number two this morning, and we'll leave point number three for next Sunday. We'll turn this into a, a two-part message. Freedom is a calling, but our freedom is also supposed to be other-centered. Our freedom is also supposed to be others-centered. See, freedom is not just about you and me. Wouldn't we do well to learn that today in our culture? Because ultimately what we end up coming down to fighting about is our view of freedom and other people having a different view and it's all about everybody having my view. But freedom according to the word of God is to use the freedom I've been given to show others the freedom they can have. Remember last week when I cynically said that most people's definition of freedom is being able to do what I want and what makes me feel good when I want 
and nothing getting in the way of that. Remember that? That's kind of the way we view freedom today. Especially if you look at social media and you watch the news and all that. It's, it's everybody operating and everything operating by the way I see the world, and that is freedom. Don't step on my freedom. Don't encroach on my rights. It's a very self-centered and one-sided view of freedom. And while it may sound extremely childish when we put it in those terms, it's really the way most people view their freedoms. It's the way I'm tempted to view my freedom as well, especially in our westernized and individualized western culture where everything is about my personal rights, my privileges, my freedoms. Don't encroach, don't tread on me, 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 me. She self-centered freedom perverts the miracle of God's grace. This is the danger of carrying that self-centered individualistic idea into the community of faith. It's because when we have a self-centered idea of freedom, it perverts what God's grace was meant to do in us and through us. See, God's grace is endless, right? His grace never runs out. It's a never-ending fountain. That means that once I've been saved, and once I've been given the freedom of salvation, I will always be saved, and I cannot and will not ever lose it. I can't even trade it away. See, once God adopts me into his family, I'll never be an orphan again. And I don't know, there's somebody here today or listening today that needed to hear that. Once you're adopted into God's family, he doesn't make you an orphan again. You're there. But you see, a self-centered view of the grace of God will lead to a dangerously liberal view of how we exercise the freedom that we have in God's grace. I'm talking about the attitude that we as believers too many times have, especially in our day of cultural Christianity and deconstructionism and all of those things to say, well, since I'm saved and always will be and there's nothing that I can do to lose it, I might as well just do whatever I want. Because I got eternal fire insurance. I got my get out of hell free card and God's forever got my back. So I'm just going to enjoy everything and I'm going to just indulge in everything because there's no repercussion for it. I'm still going to go to heaven. Maybe it's just me. But I think that we should have a little bit more reverence for the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than to merely view our salvation and the grace he offers as a license to play with fire without getting burned. Can I say that again? Maybe it's just me. But I think that we should have more respect for the gospel of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, dying a death that sin cost us. We should have more respect for that than to just view the grace of Jesus Christ and eternal life that he gives us as just some license to play with fire without getting burned. Because when we view freedom as something that only exists to benefit us, this is where we so easily can end up. This is why we find ourselves looking at the word of God and instead of embracing the truths, we start saying, is that really what it says? I, I, looking at the Word of God, I say, maybe, maybe we've moved beyond what the Bible says today. Maybe God's changing His mind. Maybe we've gotten it wrong all this time. And there are situations where we really have. Like I mentioned, and like Ryan mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I've mentioned before in some of my other sermons and stuff too, there's this movement of deconstruction of faith today. Christians 
basically looking at what they've been taught and what they've heard of the Bible and saying, is that really what the Word of God says? Listen, I'm all for anything that brings a person back to the Word of God. Here's the risk that we run with anything. Look, deconstruction has happened through the centuries. Deconstruction is how we got the Protestant Reformation. Deconstruction is how we got, you know, the faith that we have today. Is looking at it and saying, well, I don't know if the word is necessarily saying what everybody says the word says. Here's the problem. Don't tear down a false idol just to go build up another one. Make sure you go to the word and see what the word says. Because like Jesus said last week, the truth is what sets us free. The truth is what calls us to freedom in him. But you see... A me-centered version of freedom will always put me above the path that God intends to lead to freedom. Will always put me and say, I don't know if I can walk that path because I'd have to give up these things that I like. And now I'm not saying that giving up, you have to give up all these things in order to be able to go to heaven. I'm saying that salvation happens when we put our faith in Christ, but then he starts to call us to sanctification, beginning to be formed in Christ every day. And that is going to come up against the flesh every single time. And the flesh and the spirit are going to do this. We're going to talk about that in depth next Sunday. I knew when I was writing the sermon that it was going to end up turning into two parts, but you know, you know, I just thought I'd give it a shot. See, a me-centered, self-centered view of freedom will always lead to everybody else's oppression. It will also lead to everybody else's offense. And it will also lead to offending the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But an others-centered version of freedom, and this is where we'll end today, will properly glorify the God of grace. When I take that freedom that Jesus gave me, which he gave me freedom for my sake, by the way, for God's glory and for my sake. When he gave me that freedom, what did he intend me to use it for? Well, he intended me to use it to tell others who are in bondage how they could be free. See, what if Jesus didn't just save us for us? What if he saved us for the purpose of seeing others saved as we glorify him and love others like he loved them? Amen. What if this Christianity thing is not all about me saying what makes me most comfortable, but what makes me most glorify the Lord and what makes the gospel most known? Look at Galatians 5.13 again in verse number through 14. It says, For you were called to be freed, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other, word, the fr in other words, the freedom of God's grace is not a license to sin and to indulge in self. It's a call to love and serve others so that they may know and enjoy the freedom of Christ as well. This also means that freedom in Christ is best enjoyed when we think less about what can I get away with doing and we think more about how can I be serving? I can't tell you how many times I've looked at the grace of God knowing that forgiveness is available to me and really just kind of being sinfully tuned into that thinking, I can do this and just ask for forgiveness tomorrow. And don't look at me like I'm crazy because you go through that same temptation too. 
Paul said the same thing. He said, God forbid, he said, should I go ahead and sin the more so that grace may abound the more? He says, God forbid that I would do that. But then he goes on to say, you know what? I still struggle with it. The things that I know to do, I don't do. And the things that I know not to do, I still do. Why? Because we still war with our flesh back and forth. That flesh calling us to abuse the freedom that we have. The flesh first tries to call us to remain in bondage, but then the flesh will then call us to try to abuse the freedom that we've had and make the gospel of Jesus Christ of none effect. See, this is why an other-centered freedom will properly glorify the God of grace. We're running short on time, so I'm not going to try. I'm so tempted to just go on into part number three, but we're not going to. We'll wait until, to, until next Sunday. That means everybody's got to come back next Sunday. I don't care what your plans are. I know some of you here from out of town. You still got to be here. You got to stay another week just so you can hear the rest of it, right? <laughs> Thank God for Facebook. You can catch the second part later, right? But as we get ready to close out this morning, I want to consider a couple of questions today. First of all, what Paul said, you've been called to freedom. That calling resonates like a drumbeat of grace right now for everyone throughout the world. When Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me. That is a drumbeat of a calling. Come to me. Anyone can find rest. He chose us. And there's somebody here today or listening today that that hit you hard because you've never thought of yourself as worthy enough to be called. Well, the truth is you're not. I'm not. The best person in the world that you know is not worthy enough to be called by Christ. That's why it's grace. That's why it's mercy. When we didn't deserve it, he offered it to us anyway. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you've never answered that calling, answer it today. He's calling out to you. It's like that old song says, Jesus is tenderly calling today, calling today. And he's calling, oh sinner, come home. If you don't know Christ, come to him today. It's the only way to be set free. But that call is also a call for us out of sin and bondage, but it's also a call for us to serve others with the freedom that we have. And the question that I leave us with this morning is, number one, do you have freedom in Christ? Number two, if you've been set free, how are you using that freedom? We're getting ready and we've been talking and praying and preparing and all of those things for the gospel to every home. And we've seen 96,000 homes that have already had the gospel delivered to their doorstep. Some have found freedom in Christ in doing that. But church, those who are free should also share freedom with others. Have we been living our life just thinking, hey, nobody really likes Jesus around me, so I'm just gonna be quiet and I'm gonna look at them and be like, you're not me, I'm not you, and let's just keep it that way. Folks, we don't get that opportunity. We have to learn how to share the truth in love because the truth is what sets people free. So the challenge is know Christ. And then if you know Christ, share Christ. So the question this morning is we go to a time of invitation and personal reflection and response. Do you know Christ? If you don't know Christ, today's the day of salvation. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, but God's gift is eternal life through Jesus. You've been trying your best to be a good little boy or a good little girl, and every time you fall flat on your face, that's because that's the only way it works. But Jesus 
changes everything. If you don't know Christ, come to him today. If you're watching today and you don't know Christ and you need to talk to somebody, email us. Leave a message, a Facebook message. Put it in the comment section there. Call us, whatever you need to do. We want to talk with you. We want you to find freedom in Jesus because you're not going to find it anywhere else. But if you know Christ, are you sharing him? Are you an agent of freedom? There's a lot of talk about patriotism, nationalism. What's, I believe patriotism and nationalism are two very, very different things. But are you a gospel patriot? Are you, are you one who cares about the values of the kingdom? And if you are, you want to share that freedom with others. Do you know Christ? If you know him, are you sharing him? As we bow our heads and as we close our eyes and as we pray this morning, the call is simple. If you don't know Christ, come to him today. If you know Christ and you're not sharing him, make a commitment, rededicate today to share him with others. Heavenly Father, have your time or have your way. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.